Welcome to Movie Moments, discussing the greatest movies of all time. Plus, all the newest films in theaters and streaming. Like us, rate us, share us. Here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. We're back with another edition of Movie Moments. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry talking about the world of movies out today and out in yesteryear. Uh, speaking of yesteryear, later on today, we're going to count down our 10 favorite movies from 20 years ago, back in 2004. Stay tuned for that. Plus some movie news on the way and a heck of a lot more. Let's bring him in right now without further ado and talk to him. Chuck, how you doing? I'm doing really good, Mike. Super Bowl weekend. Weather's getting a little better on the uh, Northeast. A lot of things to look forward to. Uh, let's get it going. You know, we've done this show in the past in honor of the Super Bowl. Uh, favorite football movies of all time and you and I always seem to land on probably the longest yard, right? As the, the if you're going to watch a movie to get you pumped up for the game, that's the football game to watch. That final football game specifically. That is a uh, a great film. You know, actually, I was talking to somebody the other, other day about that film, and we're talking about uh, audience participation films, movies you got to watch in a movie theater where the fans or the audience really got into it, yelling back at the screen. Uh, I, I was using an example of Beverly Hills Cop bring back some fond memories of 1984. But I got to say, and I'll, I'll ask you this question off the bat while you bring up that film. Is it sort of a, I know, you know, the longer we do this, obviously the more time passes. And the reason we call the show movie moments is because it's a reflective program. And we do like uh, looking back at what was, do you think the longest yard is a completely forgotten film at this point? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think at all, especially since it's a sports movies, sports movies are hard to be forgotten films because these are the, these are the movies people go back to a lot. Then you add in the fact that there's a whole other generation that probably discovered it, you know, 30 years later with the longest yard remake by Adam Sandler, not as good, but very watchable. So people want to go to the source material for that. Um, And then you had a megastar Burt Reynolds in it too. So I think there's a lot of layers there that would keep that in the minds of, of many people. Uh, to go back and watch and, and it does stream a lot. If you go around these, these streaming services, it does seem to pop up and appear quite often. I don't think that would be a lost one, but something like we are Marshall, another great football film, probably lost a little bit. You know, there's a lot of lost football films out there that people like the best of times with Kurt Russell. I'm a big fan of that movie comedy with Robin Williams. So right. I don't think longest yard would fall into that category, but there are certainly some, some lost football movies or forgotten football movies. Uh, but Little Giants would have, be a fun one. What's that? Little Giants would be a fun one. Little Giants, yeah, right. Stuff, stuff like that. I think we have a show in our archives. If you guys want to go back, we did we talk do. about it. It's one of our first shows, yep. actually. Uh, yep. Was our favorite football movies. So, uh, well, all right, we're getting ready for the big game, just like everybody else is. So, uh, and uh, Taylor Swift, you know, going to fly from Japan to the game, uh, Chuck. Meanwhile, she's making, you know, big time news. As far as movie news goes with a release, getting ready uh, to start streaming here uh, in a couple of, I think about a month, right? It'll hit streaming services. Yeah, I mean, Disney released their quarterly report the other day. They made a few major announcements. One of them was that the Taylor Swift concert film, The Eros Tour, will start streaming on Disney Plus March 15th. The one caveat here, the announcement that five extra songs will be added to this. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And I also think, listen, it's great business for anybody to get into uh, uh, to, to do business with Taylor Swift. I think Disney's has to be ecstatic. The fact that they get to uh, stream her concert film. I think when, when she probably announced that she'll be at the Super Bowl, the NFL executives in the boardroom probably jumped up 
in, in down repeatedly. I mean, let's not be only honest, that, Mike, they probably made an amazing it, business for the NFL. They made it possible for her to accomplish this too. Let's face it. They're probably rolling out the red carpet and maybe even sure. paying for her to get from point A to point B in such time. Um, and, you know, Taylor's got some other stuff on Disney, but um, you know, you almost think they're one in the same, a Disney fan and a Taylor fan, but I would imagine with this news, they're going to gain memberships in the next month before the debut of this movie too. So uh, that's a coup for D- Disney plus as if they needed the coup, but uh, you know, listen, you got to do what you do to make the, make the green uh, Chuck and nothing's really going to make green this weekend in theaters. Uh, you got Lisa Frankenstein and out of darkness. They're re-releasing Pixar's turning red. But uh, I don't think this will help Argyle in the least, though, to try no, to find here, an audience. Here, here's the numbers. Uh, let's just before we go to this week, which we have projections, go to last week. Argyle, which cost a reported budget of two hundred million dollars, directed by Matthew Vaughn, uh, starring Henry Cavill and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, opened to seventeen point five million dollars here in the states. That is a very weak number. I mean, the reality is, I, I we don't like, you know. Uh, uh, emphasizing the negative, but the reality is $17.5 million opening weekend off a $200 million budget is bad. This weekend with Super Bowl weekend is projected to do about 6 million in box office. It's going to do a quick fade and wind up on Apple plus in a, in a, in a few weeks, as far as Lisa Frankenstein, which is a teen comedy written by Diablo Cody, mm-hmm. who was infamous back in the day. She wrote the screenplay to Juno became a big name in the business, wound up doing a writing a Jennifer's Body uh, with with Megan Fox, Lisa Frankenstein, $4 million opening weekend. Rule of thumb, uh, don't open a movie Super Bowl weekend. Some will take the chance. Uh, not a good idea, Mike. Interesting enough, I saw a couple of movies this, past, this weekend that were released, both on, on streaming. Um, mm-hmm. And one's actually kind of sweet and actually really good, and that's called Suncoast, which stars Laura Linney and uh, Nico, uh, Nico Parker. Um, um, I think that's her name. She's Thandi Newton's daughter. She's the lead in this film. Woody Harrelson also stars in it. She's uh, Nico's uh, character has a brain dead brother who's at, at a place called Suncoast. Uh, it's it's a, a nursing home. A Laura Linney, an overprotective mom. Uh, very sweet story. Really good performances. And boy, she's a spitting image of her mom too. It's really quite incredible. Uh, the the likeness there. And I, I actually kind of like this movie. It's on Hulu right now. Um, if you want to check it out, uh, it grabs some Kleenex as well. And I also saw Upgraded, which is uh, on Prime Video, too. Uh, that movie stars one of the leads from uh, the Riverdale series, Chuck. Uh, it's kind of a basically a ripoff of The Devil Wears Prada, but uh, it's it's not awful. Camelia Mendez does play the lead here. Um, but it's paint by numbers, nothing really spectacular. So, uh, Marissa Tomei's got a star turn in it as well. But, uh, if you're a fan of Riverdale and you like Veronica on that show, you're probably going to tune into this movie because you have Amazon prime and it's, well, it used to be free. Uh, but now it's not Chuck. They're putting ads now on Amazon prime, which is a whole other subject in and of itself. But I would recommend seeing sun coast for sure. Um, and then, uh, maybe passing on, uh, on, uh, upgraded unless you have a teenage daughter who happens to be a fan of Riverdale. So a couple of new movies that I got to see, and I know you saw an Oscar nominated movie in theaters and I, I'd love to hear you trash it. Are you going to trash it? It's not going to be positive. Uh, I got a chance to see poor things, which is nominated for 11 Academy awards. Let me just prefacize before I start, you know, I, I was talking about uh, the movie Iron Claw in December, which I got a chance to see in theaters 
and I said on the year that I thought that for me was the best film I saw in 2023. I thought it was uh, very thought provoking. It's about the Von Erich wrestling family. Good performances, good story, beginning, middle, end, had an emotional impact. It stayed with me after I saw the film. Hence, uh, I thought it should have been nominated for Best uh, Picture. Oscars get announced. The movie gets zero Oscar nominations. By chance, we book poor things at the theater I'm involved in here in East Strasburg, Pennsylvania. So I said to myself, let me sit down. I had nothing to do uh, the other day in the afternoon. I said, let me sit down and, and watch this so I have something to talk about when we do this program, a theatrical release. And, much and by the way, my... people love this movie. People in Hollywood love this movie. Yeah, so let, listen, 11 Oscar nominations, Best Picture, Best Actress, Emma Stone, Best Actor, Mark Ru- uh, Ruffalo. Uh, I got to tell you, Mike, okay, William Defoe uh, is in this film. Yep. He plays this Frankenstein-esque scientist who does these sort of strange, weird al- animal experiments. Emma Stone uh, dies. He puts a fetus brain in her and revives her. And her Already I'm hooked. Already I'm hooked. Uh, her <laughs> character art arc throughout the two hours and 21 minute running time is to discover her sexual awakening. And in this film, uh, Mike, not only does Emma Stone have one sex scene, not two, not three, not four, oh. not five, but 20 something. No, go on and on and on. Yes. On and on and on. And the last act. But it, the, uh, I'm, I'm guessing these scenes are not played for erotica, right? They're played for something else. They're, I mean, they're not. I, I mean, are they comedic? Are they, they you know, okay? The, mo- the sexy? movie's being, are the, they? The, the, they're not sexy. The movie's okay. being billed as a comedy sci-fi genre, which is to me a weird concoction. I would assume in this film that the director and the cast believed, and I believe most of Hollywood believes that this is high art. What I found watching this film, and I was perplexed. I was like, there were people who walked out uh, hmm. in the audience. There was about 15 people watching. A couple walked out. One guy actually slammed the door uh, <laughs> of the auditorium <laughs> halfway through. And I know at least five people who, who regular you know, moviegoers who've seen this movie and told me that they absolutely despised it and were shocked, uh, shocked at it. Um, it felt like I was watching, and this is the disconnect between a lot of the Hollywood base and the mainstream populace, which I consider myself mainstream populace when I watch a film. The disconnect is this. It felt to me like I was watching one of those 1980s or 1990s softcore porn films on basic cable with like really cinema, good acting. With real, yes, with really good acting. Yes, right. Ruffalo's really good. She's, her acting's really good. The art direction's really good. But Mike, is this one bizarre movie? This is a bizarre movie. And in the last act, she gets a job at a brothel in France, the Emma Stone <laughs> character, right? And she's having sex with guy after guy. And I got to tell you, Mike, most of them are despicable looking. Right. And she she's doing full-blown nudity in this film. And I, I have no problem with that. Sure. Like I, it's not, that's not the issue. But the issue is why there's, there's to me, I don't know what they're trying to achieve or tell, or it's evidently some sort of a metaphor. It went over my head. It's two hours and 20 minutes of oh. boy. Why, why is she doing this? But like I said, for me, the director of, of, of this film probably sold her on. This is high art to me. It feels exploitive. I mean, really exploitive. Uh, that's not the kind of feeling you want to sit in and in, in a quote with Main Street actors. Now, this is the guy that that brought us the Lobster, right, and a couple other movies that yes. I note. 
Um, yes, his name is uh, Yorgos Lanth Lanthimos. Uh, uh, I don't want to he, pronounce his he, name. He is but, he is nominated as well, correct? Yes, I mean he's clearly a weird dude. Like he's into the avant-garde of high art of filmmaking. It's right. not my type of it's not my thing, and I I respect. But here's the thing: when I like, and, and the reason I made the comparison of my disappointment with Iron Claw not getting any nominations. When I go to the movies, I want to see a movie that has a story, beginning, middle, end, some reason for its for its existence. I don't I don't get the existence of this film. I don't get the eleven Oscar nominations. She's a favorite to win Oscar for best actress he's she can act i mean she's good as an actress in this film i just don't i think it's it's an ill-advised project and that's just just my opinion yeah it's almost like he's like the modern day darren aronofsky now and they just want to jump on the bandwagon but at least aronofsky's film uh had merit and had story stories to tell this one uh yeah i don't get it and i don't get her i mean she's a far cry from the super bad and easy a days and even her turn at, in in the spider-man movies i don't i don't you know begrudge her for doing films like no this. mean i don't either i don't but, listen to each their own. Think, i'm sure there's some people will like this it's just yeah i think the majority of mainstream movie moviegoers who go into a theater to watch poor things will uh will not like this movie at all and a lot might walk out let's bounce into this i, I got talking let's go back to the super bowl i was reading uh that the super bowl uh to do an ad a 30 second spot on the super bowl is going to cost seven million dollars this up, upcoming super bowl this weekend and in terms of some of the movies that we might see coming attraction trailers to uh this is not confirmed but most likely deadpool 3 which mm -hmm. there is a rumor out there mike that taylor swift could be involved uh as one of the cast members in deadpool really 3. That, that yeah yeah that, that well, is, i know that is she, it. she is friends with the lead actor's wife yes. they are best friends so that could be possible now there's a good chance we're going to see a coming attraction trailer to twisters Glenn Powell is going to lead the cast of that. Uh, uh, I guess it's a semi sequel. It's not a re. It's I don't not even a know what that means. What does that it, mean? It, semi sequel. Well, Give me an example meaning, of a semi sequel. Well, the existence of the original film will be acknowledged in this okay. film. Meaning, so it'll but be it's, a not a it's not. It's not a continuing it's not a, story. Uh, no, you're not going to see Helen Hunt or any of the characters. Obviously, Bill Paxton passed from the first film. There's been no footage released as of yet, so this would be the first trailer released during the Super Bowl, uh, Inside Out uh, 2. You got 120 eyeballs watching this game on Sunday or more. You're a studio, Mike. You spending $7 million for 30 seconds? Probably, yes. <laughs> I, probably I mean, it might be too. the most effective I, $7 million. <laughs> I, I would agree. I think if you yeah. got the right vehicle, yep. I think if you got the right vehicle, it's a, it's a great launching pad because you're going to create enough interest where millions, especially now in this day and age where people immediately go on YouTube and watch these well, trailers over and over. It's a good. Well, this will pick. be this will be the most watched Super Bowl ever because of the added Taylor Swift layer, where people aren't going to tune out. People only usually tune in for the Super Bowl ads. You know, the the non football fans now they'll watch the entire game. You're going to have a captive audience for three and a half hours. Yeah, I think it's worth seven million dollars. I got some other news. I just want to bounce it to this story. I, I was reading D Dakota Johnson, who's currently doing this the, the, the rounds promoting a new superhero movie madam web which opens uh on wednesday for valent the long valentine's day weekend uh gave an interview and she 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 did a, a smaller film she talked about called daddio and it, and it co-stars sean penn i believe he plays a uh, it's a lower budget movie uh where he plays a cab driver she plays a passenger and the movie basically basically revolves around a conversation they have 
discussing their the relationships they've had in their lives. Daisy Ridley also co-stars. And she said to the interviewer, one of the frustration frustrations she has in the industry, and she called the industry at this point very bleak because she said it is so hard to get anything green lit that is a little bit edgy or or at the edge of gambling. Will it will it not make a profit? And it's hard to get streamers involved beside studios to get them involved in anything that they don't feel is a sure thing. And she felt she feels the studio is very dark and, and, and very bleak. You have thoughts on that? Well, I don't know. I mean, it does seem like there's a lot of product out there. I don't know about things getting not getting green lit. Now, I don't I, I would argue that they it's a hard time finding these movies. But, boy, you look on any streaming service, you probably pop up and say, what is this more often than not? Uh, so I don't know about the fact that there isn't money backing smaller movies I, I, like a daddy because I think there are, I just don't think it's getting to the masses. Uh, here, like here's the, the here's the thing. I, I think, in, and I'll, I'll go back when I, when I remember when I interviewed Shane West and he, and he, and he did a, he did an, he was doing, he did an indie, indie movie. Right. And, and I, and I said to him, Shane, I said, give me, give me your thoughts on this. And I'll ask you, there's two, there's two entities, there's two Hollywoods right now. There's the, the Hollywood that's making big budget popcorn product where it's called high concept. They sort of write out a big check, feeling confident they're going to get their money back. Right. right. And then there's the, the other part of Hollywood, which is making these Nicholas Cage style director stream movies that costing five million dollars and that would be a high budget but most of them are like one or two million dollar projects i think what she's referring to is studios writing out a check for 25 to 40 million dollars to do these to do this type of of character driven movie with high production value see the problem with a lot of this streaming stuff that's on a lower budget gets yeah, one or two million and you could see when you watch it they got all sorts of production issues and it really uh, it craters the, the the project as a whole because if the movie doesn't look good and it's not slick, the storytelling I think suffers greatly. So you got the two hundred million dollar movie and you got the one million dollar movie. They need yeah. they need an in between, and I think that's what she's referring to. Yeah, maybe, but I would say the movie I just reviewed, Suncoast, is one of those in between movies. You got a bankable actors in it. You got a storyline that, like, uh, Little Miss Sunshine kind of storyline that used to make movies like that used to make money and studios used to get behind. You've got, you know, Fox Searchlight bankrolling this film. Here's the problem, Chuck. The audience isn't going to, why would you put $40 million behind this movie when you put it out in theaters? Nobody's going to spend money on it. That's the problem. That's the disconnect. Yeah. The audience isn't going to the theaters because they've now been trained to watch these type of movies on a streaming service instead of having to go to the movie theaters to do it. So I don't blame theater owners, uh, 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 producers for not bankrolling a movie like Daddy-O because it has zero shot at making a, a bankroll if it gets released theatrically and has a big budget behind it and all that stuff. I don't blame them there unless this movie's incredible, which I doubt it is. But if it's two people sitting in a taxi cab for 90 minutes, it's not, you know, already, why would you spend too much money on something like that? I, I don't know. You, I you, think, you know, I think it's a little sour grapes for her. Maybe, um, maybe um, because there's the same person who's about to star in a major uh, uh, superhero movie that comes out 
uh, holiday weekend. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. A lot of these people, a lot of these stars that used to do big budget movies used to do, used to make movies. I'll make one for me and then I'll make one for you. So that's basically what she just did. I don't know why she, you know, just because it won't find an audience. It's not exactly the producer's fault for that. Um, yeah, I, I, cause I, I think at least, Hey, it's got, it got yeah. made. It's getting somewhere. Uh, right. You're lucky. It got this far. Many scripts don't even get produced. Listen, two things. Uh, when we when I brought up that storyline, you know what popped in my head. I remember, I know if you remember back in the day, remember Siskel and Ebert championing the movie My Dinner with Andre. Yeah, about two yeah. people sitting at a dinner table, right? Yeah. And Siskel and Ebert single handedly promoted that movie and sold it so hard to the American public that that movie garnered word of mouth and legs, and that actually did very 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 well uh, theatrically. I think that day, as you said. Uh, it's so it long. I mean, gone. it just it, it's, it is. It's just that's just the the the, the way it is. Um, I, and I look. I am not crazy about the state of movies right now, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. blame this problem on movie producers. It it might be a problem, but this isn't really their. This is they didn't create this problem. Let's go bounce into some movie news. I got some interesting stuff following the streaming success of the uh, Predator movie Prey in 2022. Director writer Dan. Uh, Trackenberg, a, a guy who we're big fans of, he did 10 Cloverfield Lane, going to do another Predator movie for 20th Century Fox. Uh, this one's titled Badlands, which will take place in the future. Prey took place in, ni- in 1719. There's reports they're going to do a sequel to that. But it appears that 20th Century Fox, which is still in existence, even though it's owned by Disney, has handed the keys to the Predator world or franchise to this director, writer, Dan Trackenberg, which I think uh, is a good move. I think he's got talent. I like Prey. It was a streaming release on Hulu. It was the most watched Hulu movie in its opening weekend in that streamer's uh, in that streamer's history. So uh, I look forward to uh, more Predator movies by this guy. I think he's very talented. All right, what's your next movie news? <laughs> you have no. I I I didn't like Prey. I didn't think it was necessary. I don't think any really? of these movies are necessary anymore. Yeah. Really? Wow, you Are become you way you you, be, you become way too much of an naysayer. Kevin Williamson, you remember him, right? Oh yeah, love him. Yeah. Uh, all right, he wrote Scream. He wrote Dawson's Creek. He cut a deal with Universal Pictures to do a uh, to to be a cr- creative uh, consultant writer on a bunch of reboots uh, that will become <laughs> basically t- uh, a TV miniseries. And two of them, uh, they're going to reboot. A Rear Window as a miniseries, yeah. and they're going to reboot David Fincher's The Game as a miniseries, written by Kevin Williamson. Yeah, you have thoughts on that one? But I love that movie. Um, I don't, you know. Well, Rear Window's been done before. I mean, they did yeah. it as a theatrical movie, Disturbia, with Shia LaBeouf and David Morse, which was actually a really good film. So I could see why they want to, would want to go back to the well, because I think that has a lot of possibilities. I mean, Williamson clearly, you know, uh, was a, a good writer. Um, Again, and, all these well, people I got want to get there's involved movie, in streaming. There's a movie on Hulu right now called Self-Reliance, written and directed by Jake Johnson, very funny and, and appealing actor. It's basically a remake of the game as it is, if, if you watch it. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Michael Douglas, Sean Penn movie. I think it's underrated. I think many people might have min- missed that Fincher movie. Uh, you know, I you know how I feel about reboots, dude. It's just like write an original script with a new storyline. Just put the I don't think they like Rear Window. That has a that mm-hmm. is a brand. I don't think the game is a brand. 
much like I don't think Australia was a brand. So let's just make that into a mini series and recut it. And people don't even mm-hmm. know the difference. They'll think it's a new Nicole Kidman, Hugh Jackman movie because people are dumb. So I don't know. <laughs> they are that, you know, yeah. how many people there's probably about 25 to 30% of people think that's new content, um, without even, you know, realizing the truth. So, and we don't mean the people listening to this program. Why was, no, else. no. Why was scream so good in its day? Cause he wrote an original script that harkened back to the old days of slasher movies. Hey, Kevin, just do that this All week right. in movie right. history, Fe- February 8th, good start. It's movie history. Good. Yes. Good. Good start. Planet, right. planet of the apes starring Charlton Heston premieres in New York City. Now, I obviously, I didn't see it when I was uh, a couple years old, but I did see it in a re-release mm-hmm. in the early 70s uh, at the Avenue Movie Theater in Brooklyn, New York. I remember the it was the place was packed, and I, I always remember that memory fondly. I absolutely adored this film. I can't, it, so, so did, did you ever see this movie in a, in a theater playing uh, as, as a re-release? I, think, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, I was just trying to think of my first memory of this movie, and I, I really can't. One other one. This week, believe it or not, Mike, in movie history, 50th anniversary of Blazing Saddles. When they did the premiere, they didn't <laughs> premiere it. Listen to this. They didn't premiere it in a movie theater. They did the premiere in Los Angeles at a drive-in, and all the people who watched sat on horseback <laughs> to, 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 to watch it 50 years ago this week. One of the most, one of the funniest, most influential movies of all time what a year when we talk about this all the time blazing saddles and young frankenstein same year same mel year. brooks uh, life doesn't get any better for an individual than that no no and and you know blazing saddles obviously a many many debate on social media whether or not a movie like that could even exist in this world right now um i, I say could. yes i say yes i say yes if, if it's if it's irreverent enough and funny enough people will still laugh and be okay to laugh. They all have well, their they'll laugh. They'll, but, here's the thing about comedy. Here's the thing about comedy. This is, this is the thing. This is the thing. It's sort of like when I walked out of poor things, I said to a couple people, what do you think? And yeah. they wanted to say they liked it. And I said to one woman, I said, do me a favor, take a deep breath. <laughs> Tell me you hated it. And she says, yeah, I did. Right. That's the, that's the way the human mind works. I give you an example. I was doing prep, right? Because I'm going to interview Scott Grimes, who's in the Peacock show Ted, right? So I, I watched the first couple episodes, and it's totally politically incorrect, right? And it made and I laugh, and I'm laughing, and I'm laughing because I love the two Ted movies. I think, listen, I, I just for whatever Seth MacFarlane, he, he, a lot of people say he's an acquired taste. Well. His taste works for me. It makes me laugh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But the thing is, you know, like when you're doing Schindler's List jokes and he, he does a Schindler's List joke in, in the in the Ted Peacock series. And you say you the thing you said, like I laughed, but I say to myself, boy, you know, he's got some he's got some goal going there. Right. But the thing is. If it's funny, it's funny. If it's That's not right. funny, it's not funny. There's That's no right. point of doing an analysis on humor. Right. Nope. It, you know, I don't need to take my pen and paper and and, and, and check all boxes. Should I laugh? Should I not laugh? Because people tell me I shouldn't laugh at well, this joke. If it's right. funny, I and laugh. It, and it's right? subjective. I, I think it's funny. You can't tell me what I think is funny. So exactly. That's the bottom line. But all right. Best bit in Blazing Saddles. What's your favorite bit? Well, I, I my I, favorite I, line. I, I got two favorite yeah. lines. Sure. Mine is <laughs> when they say. Well, I can't say some of the line, but it does end with, but we won't take the Irish. I just, for yeah, some yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah. And then when, um, 
when they're in the Ku Klux Klan uh, uniforms <laughs> and Gene Wilder starts scrubbing his hand and then he flips it over. He goes, look, it's coming off. That, I, I think it's hysterical. Well, I love of the course, quicksand, many, the quick, many, 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 but those the quicksand scene is really funny. And the look on Cleavon Little's face is always funny. But I love the scene at the end when they walk into the movie theater and they're actually oh watching the movie. They're actually watching the movie. But like the point about- scenes of, of Gene Wilder just being like low key emotional. And it's, it's so good. That movie is and, so, uh, so good. And, and, uh, Corman going into the Chinese theater and he tries to show his student ID. I mean, <laughs> just great stuff. Dom DeLuise with the dance number. I mean, the yeah. fact that he took that movie to those lengths at the end, to it yeah. shows you Mel Brooks had not a care in the world when he was making Nobody's telling him how this movie's going to go. And that's the freedom. You can feel the freedom while you watch that movie. Yeah, because there's no woke. Right, right, right. right? Woke Obviously. didn't exist. Right. Yeah. Wait, last thing, and we're getting into our main topic, our top ten of two thousand and four. Believe it or not, Mike, there's a TV one, February ninth, nineteen ninety three. <laughs> Listen to this, February ninth, nineteen ninety three. Michael Jackson grants an interview to Oprah at the height of his issues. Sure. Thirty nine percent market share. Ninety million people watch that interview. Ninety million people. Wow. I got a que- I got a question for you. They're going to do this Michael Jackson biopic, Anton Fugna, right? Going to direct. Right. Is Michael Jackson? I, I don't. I'm not. I don't want to dwell on this. But is, is it Michael a no Jackson, holds barred movie though? That's the. But question. here's the thing. In, in terms of the way history will judge Michael Jackson, is he going to get a full blown pass on a lot of this stuff? I say he might. He might. I mean, there's still people. I don't know. I, I will tell you this because, and I, yeah. I, I'm, I failed to bring it up last week, but I did watch that Netflix by uh, the uh, a documentary called "The Greatest Night in Pop" about the assembling everybody for the uh, we are the world um song right, music right, video right. it really right. really good uh, michael and you know they show a lot of michael jackson and you know lionel rich and quincy and putting it all together but as i'm watching it i for some reason i'm not repulsed by michael jackson and i don't know why that is yeah if, I, I would, some I would of the stuff I, some I of the stuff that he did is true it should repulse me and i should it, i it agree sh- it should evoke the same feelings i have for bill cosby for for some reason mm. it doesn't and maybe it will over time i don't know but why and by the way it's a great documentary and if you grew up in the 80s you gotta watch this because it'll it just a, it's like a time capsule of everything that was great in music at the time and that's what was so special about that song and that night they got everybody oh, together on the same night of, of the american movie uh, music awards and uh, it's just really good a lot of a lot of good Huey Lewis stuff too. And I grew up a big Huey Lewis fan and Cindy mm-hmm. Lauper. So it, it's on Netflix. It's the greatest night in pop. But for some reason I look at Michael and he's a big part of this movie, big part of that night. And I just don't have that animosity yet. And I, I don't would, know if I ever I, will. I, 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 would, I think the difference, I think in Bill Cosby's instance, I think the proof is hard. Uh, I think in Michael Jackson, there's, there's, there's a lot so of many, you know, there's yeah. a lot of red herrings thrown out. So yeah. in, in terms of, you know, hardcore proof, and I think too, it's a little different. And it, there wasn't this big character uh, switch like Bill Cosby. You wouldn't, in the minds of most people, while he was popular, you wouldn't picture him doing this. Michael no. Jackson was always a little wacko. Let's face it. Yeah, he was a, he's a weird dude who made great yeah. music. So this yeah. leap of faith that he actually liked little kids and being around them, while you were yeah. uh, amazed by his talent, you kind of figured, well, this guy's not all. That. I mean, he turned white for crying out loud. Yeah. So, it, it, always, you know, maybe that's not always it. The, I don't know why. Which is not always the norm. No. 
No, no, it's not. I did actually get to see him in person once when yeah. he was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, listen, I never lived in a house called Neverland. No, although I no. did like Peter Pan. And and it's not like Macaulay Culkin screaming from the rooftop saying this guy was a weirdo. He never or, really. Or, or Corey, or Corey, Feldman, or Corey right? Feldman. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, I, you know, yeah. maybe they're protecting him. I don't know. All I know is that it's a shame that he's not around anymore. Because oh yeah, I mean the, the guy, whole he, listen no, the whole it it listen it, it it's always. I mean, even the legacy that Bill Cosby now has is sad. I mean, it is sad. It you know, sad. I mean, if, if we wish it wasn't true, right? right? I mean, nobody, nobody. I don't. I mean, I we don't root for that. Who would would root for that? It's terrible. Right. It's terrible. Well, let, not terrible. What you mentioned it was the year two thousand and four in movie theaters, uh, where we saw the second Shrek movie make the most money worldwide in theaters. I don't think it's going to be on either one of our lists, but it also saw some. Big uh, controversial movies like The Passion of the Christ. And then you had the first mm -hmm. real climate change movie of all time. And I remember one of my memories is going to see The Day After Tomorrow at the Ziegfeld. And uh, what's his name? It was Michael Moore was there in the theater watching it. It was the opening yeah, yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, tell me that. How and many so, people? It was, was it packed? Oh, it was packed. It was good. And, you know, it, yeah. was, it was a normal crowd. I mean, there was some moaning and groaning because some of the dialogue and the and the politics in the movie do, do make you moan and groan. It, it, you know, it almost... It was around my list. It didn't make my list. I, I would imagine it's Same probably on yours. No, um, it's not. It's, it's right around. But I got to tell you something about that movie. That's one of those movies that has immense replayability. I and mean, when you when you change your channels and day after, it's one of those movies like, oh, let me watch. And it well, works. It's, well, and, and it it's, might be the last Roland Emmerich movie that isn't god awful, too. I yeah, know you I, like I 2012. Yeah, I, I like. But, yeah, I, I, but, I get your picture. But but this is the one that it, then he just he just went crazy after this with the geostorms and the and mm -hmm. the just killing everybody on Earth. Uh, it got a little out of control. There are some elements of the day after tomorrow I really like, like Jake Gyllenhaal and Dennis Quaid. I mean, there's some good stuff in it. it I think you know, the first it's very half is I think I think the first half is excellent. The second half is 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 very watchable. Not as good as the first half, but overall, I think it's a good movie. Well, let's uh, let's go through our top 10 here and uh, I'll start <laughs> and I will say National Treasure almost made my top 10. That was my last cut that I had to made. And the only reason I made the cut is because of the guys from South Park. I could not leave Team America World Police off my list, Chuck, at number 10. Uh, the marionette movie, it, it plays today as well as it played 20 years ago about how stupid America can be sometimes. And they expose how dumb we can be. And it's a very, very, very funny movie. Um, if you want to see marionettes have sex, throw up, do everything rude and crude you could possibly imagine, watch Team America World Police. And it's still very funny. We talked about this last week uh, when we were talking about the holdovers, but Alexander Payne and and uh, Paul Giamatti teamed up first in Sideways. That's my number nine movie. Great movie about a, mm -hmm. uh, a middle-aged man coming to terms with his love life and uh, his love of wine. My number eight could be the funniest movie of the year and it holds legs. Uh, Dodgeball, a true underdog story is my number eight. I loved it when it was in theaters. It's played well for 20 years. Um, it's found new audiences along the way. If you can dodge a wrench, Chuck, you can dodge a ball. Um, and there's a really funny performances in it. Most, maybe one that stands out the most is Jason Bateman at the end is really funny as one of the co commentators of the dodgeball game. Very ridiculous William Shatner and Chuck Norris cameos. This is a very funny movie, Chuck. I love dodgeball. 
um, with Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller. Uh, my number seven, I always have an animated one in there, and it's a, a Brad Bird's The Incredibles. He would go on to do the Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, but before he was doing that, he was making a really good animated movie with a great score by Michael Giacchino. Um, the Incredibles star stars Holly Hunter and Craig T. Nelson. Of course, uh, Samuel L. Jackson as well. Uh, it spawned the sequel. Uh, it spawned a roller coaster out in Disneyland. The Incredibles is one of Pixar's uh, best. And my number six is the third installment of the Harry Potter movies. It was the second biggest grossing movie of the year, and it's the best Harry Potter movie. And that's Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaba, Azkaban, uh, with uh, Gary Oldman popping up in this one as that prisoner. This one's dark. It's got depth. It's got great performances. It's got Alfonso Cuaron as your director, and that's probably why. Um, it's got so much stuff. Of course, he did Children of Men and Gravity. Um, um, and, it's, uh, it's regarded as the best Harry Potter movie. It is the best one. And even rewatching them all, uh, this is the one that really stands out as really having some depth. So there's my 10 through 6. It's uh, Team America World Police, <laughs> Sideways, Dodgeball, A True Underdog Story, The Incredibles, and Harry Potter and The Prisoner in Azkaban. And that is a great start to a really good movie year. It's a great movie year, and some of them are on my list. The team, uh, team police. I got to tell you, when I saw that movie in a theater, Mike, <laughs> I remember my I was buckled over. My like sides were hurting. I was yeah. laughing so hard. And there's only a few films re in the last twenty years that made uh, me do that. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen has made me do it. A few of those right. uh, that hotel right. sequence in. <laughs> uh, yeah. in oh my god! It was just yeah. like I almost vomited walking out of the theater halfway through just that guy but uh, team police really good here's my 10 through six is that, is, 10, it didn't make your list though it, it, team it right on the right on the yeah. outside you know it's another movie on the outside was uh was uh that george george c scott uh film hardcore was on the outside uh, of my uh top 10 you don't see movies like that being made anymore my number 10 13 going on 30 jennifer garner i remember watching this in the theater looking at her on the big screen saying you know what this is the next Julia Roberts. This movie's going to make a fortune. Uh, she had a good career. Maybe not, not be Julia Roberts, but certainly extremely yeah, nice li likable. And this movie was not a massive hit, but it was a hit. A very, Ruffalo, very nice right? movie. Yes, Mark Ruffalo. Uh, she actually, she just got a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and he, uh, he, he helped uh, introduce her. Uh, so right. evidently still very good friends. I find this movie to this day extremely enjoyable, plays very, very well. That's my number 10. Number nine, I went with Dodgeball, uh, the movie also. Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn. Uh, this movie is silly, is all silly, but it is funny. As and it's held funny. up. I, too, I, I, I wish they made movies. Yes, I wish they made movies like this still. Yeah. I mean, yep. why go? This movie's really funny. My it number is. eight, uh, I went with Michael Mann's Collateral, Jamie Foxx, Tom Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is a hitman. One of his best performances. This is an intense film, extremely well made, uh, and I like it a lot. That's my number yeah, eight. Number seven. To me, this is one of Jamie Foxx's best movies too. Um, best performances under, you know, he tones it down a bit. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I did like this movie. I just it went on a little long. That's all for me. Most my Michael number Mann seven. Movies I, do though. I went with Mean Girls, uh, a, a terrific teen high school comedy written by Tina Fey. I got to tell you, when you think about Lindsay Lohan. How appealing mm. she was back in the day, what she could have had. She had literally the wor the world at her hand, working with Disney, being the main Disney attraction at the time, and then basically, you know, self-imploded. But Mean Girls, I think, will stand the test of time as a generational entertainment. So that's my number seven. Number six, you'll be surprised. It is The Incredibles. That is my only, that is really my favorite Pixar really? movie. It sort of, it sort of transcends 
animation for me for whatever reason. Uh, I'm a Craig T. Nelson fan. I like him a lot. I think uh, uh, Holly Hunter uh, also very good with the voice work. It doesn't feel animated to me for some reason, this movie, and it works in spades. So my number 10, 13 going on 30, number nine, Dodgeball, the movie, number eight, Collateral, number seven, Mean Girls, number six, The Incredibles. I'm curious what your five through one will be. Yeah, my uh, Mean Girls is going to be in there. It's a little higher on my list. Uh, my number five was a really a, a love story that took America by storm and introduced us to Ryan Gosling uh, for sure. And I love The Notebook. I know it's cliche. I know it's, you know, a five Kleenex movie that everybody, you know, mm-hmm. it's schmaltzy as all hell, but it tells a great story. And the performances, uh, yes, by the young stars are really good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and Ryan Gosling is fantastic in this movie and he's spawned a great career. Uh, I did love Rachel McAdams, but I was more uh, drawn to the James Garner, Gina Rollins, uh, mm, just that story pulling you through the whole movie about you Double know where again. they get to and the revelation at the end. I just, and I had powerful very recently. I mean, not that maybe within five, 10 years of losing my grandmother to, uh, dementia and, and Alzheimer's right. and to have that, my mom, you know, in, in my mind, always loved James Garner, right? Always. I'm probably her, him and William Holden were her two favorite, you know, oh, heart got to have guys. So yeah. to have him be in that role with Gina Rollins, you know, growing up with her too in the theater, it just hit me very hard. And and the story pulls you through. I look, it's cliche, and I know it's a, it becomes a punchline to some people because of how much of a love story it is. But I'm sorry, Chuck. This movie works, and it works big time. I love The Notebook, and it's my number five movie. Nick Cassavetes, obviously, Gina Rowland's uh, son, directed the film. It's actually my num- number two. I remember sitting in a the theater. Listen, when I, I remember walking into a theater with, with my wife in 2004, and we, we watched this movie. I had no expectations whatsoever. I mean, I didn't know who Nicholas Sparks was. I certainly right. didn't know who Rachel McAdams or even Ryan Gosling was. And I got to tell you, when I watched the film, I remember saying to myself, Looking at Rachel McAdams, all the intangibles, one, yep. she's beautiful, but she's a heck of an actress and very appealing. I said, this, it will be another Julia Robertson. I think to some extent she I did. was correct. I don't think she's a household name. I think if you hold up a picture of Julia Roberts to 10 people, nine will say that's Julia Roberts. If you did right. the same experiment with Rachel McAdams, probably a couple will say that's Rachel McAdams. They'll know who she is. They may not know her name. They'll know her work. Certainly, but did that star pairing, you know, before they were stars, was a great star pairing. It that movie works in space. And, 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 and very, think very about good. it. It's funny you brought up Mean Girls at number six, and it's higher on my list. But she's in both those movies. People, Rachel McAdams, has got two movies in both of our top tens. So talk about star making year. That was the 2004 for Rachel McAdams. So the Notebook's my number five. What was your number five? I went with Miracle, uh, the Herb Brooks story. Starring uh, Kurt Russell. Uh, I think this is one of the best sports movies ever made. I mean, it's based on a true story. So they have a lot of real life uh, speeches to go into. But Kurt Russell's never been better playing a role that he sort of of morphs into. It's not when you watch it. When you watch this movie, you don't say, oh, that's Kurt Russell playing a role. He becomes her Brooks. And I remember, you know, uh, watching... Uh, this miracle on ice, uh, you know, never forget the call by Al Michaels, one of the great broadcast calls in the history of of, of sport. But, Which is in the movie, uh, it, too. It is in the yes, movie. Yes, and it, it is a great movie. Uh, the, 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 the actors, mostly, you know, a lot of unknowns yep. playing these parts are, are fr- fantastic. Uh, it's highly inspirational. And, um, you know, Herb Brooks, 
he died they, in post-production. Uh, he he yeah. unfortunately died in post-production. Yeah, he had, he had a he, he died in a car accident. Yeah, if, if I uh, yep. recall, but uh, a lot of material for Kurt Russell to sink his acting chops into. But uh, as sports mo- movies go, uh, story this is one of the best. Yep. It's one of, one the, of best. the best. Yeah, this one is of the my best. number. This is actually my number three, Chuck uh, Miracle, and absolutely robbed that he got zero nominations, Golden Globe or Oscar. This is Kurt Russell's by far best performance all time. And you said the reason why he inhibits her Brooks. He it becomes him. Um, you don't see snake Pliskin. You don't see Elvis. No. You don't see Kurt Russell. You see her Brooks and the scenes that, uh, and when he goes into the, 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 the runway after they've won the whole thing and raises his arms and what mm-hmm. it means for not only the country, but for him and his family and all the sacrifice he's made. Uh, and the, how about the iconic, Again, scene right after they lost a big game in the he makes these guys run uh, skate sprints again and again right. and again yep. and uh, and his speech in the locker room uh, it, it just all works. This is a and it's a Disney film too. You know, uh, give well, them that's why credit. it didn't. That's that's why it didn't get nominated for Oscars because it right. was released by Disney. It had a it had a preconceived uh, uh, product tag on it by the industry. Oh, this is a Disney film. Right. Yeah. It's just yeah. multi, but it was not. It's just a great movie. Uh, so, yeah, it is just a great movie. Um, it's my number three. Now, my number four, I'm interested to mm-hmm. see because, look, full disclosure, we don't know each other's lists. No. Um, but my number one could be Chuck's number one, but not, my number four could also be Chuck's number one. And that's his love for Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, which also came out in 2004. That's my number four. That's my it's number, your number four. four. Okay, good. Yeah. So let's yeah. discuss a great horror movie. Not a good horror movie. A great horror movie. It might be higher on the list if he didn't make a completely uh, <laughs> a five minute sequel in the end credits, which to mm. me still doesn't make any sense why he did that. Um, it's fun. I agree. But it, 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 it kind of takes away from the 90 minutes we just sat through because the 90 minutes we just sat through was a uh, horror movie heaven. Um, harking back to the great zombie movies of all time and maybe even being the best zombie movie, great cast. Uh, uh, Sarah Polly, Sarah, 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 Sarah Polly, who's gone on to do good things as a director. They, mm-hmm. when they cast this film, Perfect. they wanted Sarah Polly. She was a Canadian actress, primarily an unknown, but had a really good reputation as a really good thespian. They wanted her. Yep. They knew she was a good actress. The pre-credit sequence in this movie, Mike, is one of the greatest credit yeah. pre-credit sequences in the history of horror and of any movie. I screened this film a few times for a few a few of the uh, college uh, women teams. Uh, I think I screened it for the the, the uh, lacrosse team and I screened it for the girls soccer team at the college, and they absolutely love this film. I think this movie gets better uh, as it goes on in time. Ving Rhames was never better in a movie. Mm-hmm. Jack, uh, Jake, Jake Weber, Weber. was yeah, great, perfectly great. cast yeah. as the Everyman. Uh, this movie's exciting. It's thought-provoking. Uh, it, it the zombies are, are, they run. They're scary. Yep. The the he what he does is he takes the concept of George A. Romero's masterpiece, which and I think is one of the greatest up. movies, are, and he it's speeds like, it up. It's like he doesn't instead of copy at thirty-three it. and a third, it's at seventy-eight. Right? That's yeah. He doesn't that's what copy he does. it. He he expands on it. He just takes it down a different lane. And it's a great movie. It is a great movie. I love, and it's really my go-to movie come Halloween time. If I want to watch, you know, if somebody says, what do I watch this Halloween season? I always say, watch Dawn of the Dead from 2004. It's great. 
Yeah, it is great. It 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 works as an action movie as well. That's why I thought yes, it yes, was going to be higher, totally. higher on your list too. That's why I thought it might nudge the top spot. So what do you have at uh, number four? Well, that's Dawn of the Dead is my number. Is my your number, number four? Three. Yeah. yeah, my number three. I, I went with Sam Raimi's Spider Man two. Mm, interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, I went with Sam Raimi's Spider Man two. Tobey Maguire curse. I think of all the superhero movies that have ever been made. To me. This is the most melancholy in terms of the script and what they do with the Peter Parker character. Now, I was, you know, this movie made almost 800 million worldwide. But what I read is its production budget actually was almost 300 million dollars. That's a lot of money. It was it was profitable, well received, great reviews. I, I think it's the best standalone movies uh, in terms of Spider-Man ever done. Um, I think it's just a great script with great acting, a great vision by Raimi. Uh, it's a perfect Spider-Man movie. It is. I think it's uh, and it's my number one movie of the year. Mm, okay. um, Sp- yeah, I, I love this. It's it is maybe bar none the best superhero movie, as you said, of all time. But just the depth they give every single character and not only that, but maybe the best villain of all the Spider-Man villains or all villains in any Marvel or any Sony in any superhero universe. And that's Doc Ock played by Alfred Molina. Really good scenes on uh, the New York City L train. Some great action. Uh, great um, uh, underlying story of, of, a, of a romance and what it could mean. What it means to kill your best friend's dad. All that, all those layers are there in an action movie. You can't and And I, and I also think it. It, it defines the Uncle Ben line. Yes. Of with great power comes great responsibility, right? Absolutely. Because, the, because it, in no Spider-Man movie did they ever bang the nail with the hammer into the into the plywood of there's a trade-off to everything, right? Yep. Absolutely. And, and, and this movie defines life trade-offs. He ha- he has the power, but the trade-off is his life is somewhat sad. And that, yeah. and this movie, this, this script defines that. And Tobey Maguire plays it perfectly. You know, you know, some people thought he might've been too old for this role when he got it, but no, I love he, he's really good. And, and, and this shows you why he was a perfect Spider-Man. So that was my top one. I will jump back to my number two, which you had brought up earlier. And that's mean girls uh, is my number two, the perfect uh, coming of age, teenage comedy movie of the two thousands uh, written by Tina Fey. Of course, they've gone on to make a musical on Broadway. Now it's a big hit in theaters, the musical, uh, but this original, uh, material. Tina Fey actually stars in it as well. And just her uh, script is just perfect here, Chuck. It's funny. It captures the teenage life, not only in 2004, but in 1984, 94, 2014, and beyond. This movie can play for generations as it's proving it still can today. And you're right. Uh, Lindsay Lohan was a force to be reckoned with at the time. I remember th- seeing her. I'm like, oh my God, this is what it looked like probably when Anne Margaret walked on screen for the first time and people discovered her, you know, just that, um, um, vulnerability and sex ability, uh, the the sexuality that just can, can go either way. And unfortunately she went down a bad path, but she's Mm -hmm. a very appealing person on screen. She could be in a Herbie movie and then she could be in this type of movie. She can be in freaky Fridays and she can be in this type of movie. Um, she showed a lot of range and unfortunately, uh, she's still around, still doing some stuff, but it, it, it's a, what could have been, but I, I don't want to hark on that too much because this movie is really, really good and very funny, very biting. Um, and, and it reminded me of when I saw Heather's for the first time, Chuck in, in the eighties is that type of teenage movie, uh, that really nailed, uh, the angst of what it's like to be 
uh, a, a teenager at high in a high school. Um, good stuff too, and a very good turn by Lizzie Kaplan very early in her career in this film too. Yes, I agree. Uh, so this is a uh, Mean Girls was my number two. So I'm interested now. You're two and one. What could they possibly be? Well, two. Well, is you got Notebook, notebook at two. So what is your favorite movie of 2004? It's not obvious. I thought it was going to be Dawn of the Dead. No, it's Million Dollar Baby. Oh yeah, you like that movie? I forgot. Jeez. Won the My Oscar. Bad. I don't know if you remember. I don't. I didn't know if if you remember. It actually won the Oscar for Best Picture, directed yeah, by some, a guy I named Clint Eastwood. I heard but rumors. Here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. Uh, this movie primarily is a female boxing movie, but then I did not expect a right to life movie for the last. Well, that's half what hour. it. Ta- it takes a, it takes a turn into euthanasia. Euthanasia, right to life, which I thought was a very interesting spin but i i gotta tell you what makes it you know beside morgan freeman and clint eastwood who are always you know iconic in anything they do you know hillary swank gets yeah, her second oscar for this yeah. film i got i can't tell you how much respect i i have for her and i sort of you know i said to somebody the other day i i saw she has a movie coming out uh in in march with uh alan alan richardson the guy from uh uh reacher uh right. and it's sort of a faith-based film i, I sort of hope she does the, the radio rounds and does it. I'd love to interview Hillary Swank. I, I got a ton of respect for her. I think she's a dynamite actress. And any she's any shot show. she pops up on Cobra Kai last season? I, I say there's a, a I say there's a better than fifty percent chance. Wow! Wow! Yeah, I'm gonna say yeah. I I just think why not? You know they're gonna ask her. I I can't see why she would say no. Why would yeah. she say no? Well, right? if she's gonna make movies so, with guys who play Reacher that nobody watches, why would she say no? Now ask me what the odds are again. What are the odds? 80%. What is it? Now. 80%. It just yes. jumped? <laughs> it just jumped. It just jumped. Now, just I did jumped. like Million Dollar if Baby. You got, the if you, now, if you got your fan dual access on your cell phone, it's probably I'd place a, pro- the bet. a prop bet. I, I, would yeah. place, I would probably would place that bet. I, I did like the movie. I did think it was way too, way too pr- depressing at the end. Um, and, and the turn it took. I mean, I give it. Props and respect for taking that turn. It was either going to go for you or not go for you, and I, I just, it didn't go my way. That's no, I got, I got. Well, before we wrap it up, it's not on either on our top ten, but it, just quickly, give me your thoughts on the relevance of the Passion of the Christ for at least in two thousand four. I loved the movie when I saw it in theaters. Um, I did I, like, I, mean, I liked it too. I mean, I think for Christians and and for people that believe, I think there's a, a lot of relevance there, and the fact, you know. It's interesting that Jim Caviezel is the star of Jesus as Jesus Christ, and Mel Gibson yeah. is the is the director. To to it's just these people. Now, I love you know the Mel score. Gibson. I, I think it has a great. I think it has a great musical score. I think in reflection. Right here, let me though, just make this point though, yeah, Chuck, because it's a reflection of where we've become as a society. I doubt Mel Gibson and Jim Caviezel have changed at all in twenty years as the personalities, who they were, who they are. The fact that we're less tolerant. Oh, yeah about who they are and who they were and that they've been somewhat ostracized from not only the movie business, but basically um, pop American culture. I think that's more of an indication of what's wrong with people as a whole, not what's wrong with them as individuals. And I, so the fact that, that this movie can make $611 million worldwide. And if Mm -hmm. the same people involved today wrote it, directed it and starred in it, and it wouldn't, I think that's more indicative of how we've become more polarized. And unfortunately, 
uh, more narcissistic as a society than it does about what's wrong with these two individuals. If there's anything wrong with them, I don't know them, but I, the fact that you wouldn't go to see a movie because you might've heard Jim Caviezel believes in one thing, that's a problem. And we didn't have that problem in 2004 because everybody on Easter weekend went to see the passion of the Christ. They did. Listen, I sat in the movie theater. There was like 20 nuns in the audience when I, and they were weeping. Like it was honestly, it was a very emotional experience watching that movie uh, 20, 20 years ago. I think in retrospect, when you watch it now, yeah, the violence is, I mean, it's pretty obviously it's over, gratuitous, yeah. you know, yeah. and you know, some people call it a snuff film. Uh, it, it's, it's like, you know, they full blown horror. Um, it's not an easy watch. It's not an easy watch, but you know, it's extremely well made. I, I would have liked to see the backstory, to be honest with you. Not, I mean, it, it, the movie opens basically. It's his, it's his last, last night before yeah. uh, his crucifixion. So, you know, I would have liked to see the backstory of of, of Jesus if there was an, you know, an, an hour pro, prologue before uh, what they started with. But having said that, it was a huge part of of pop culture back in 2004. A very interesting year. And when I make a comparison between 2004 to what we see the last few years, boy, we've come a long way, and not in a good way. No, not in a good way at all. Uh, all right, Chuck, uh, let's go through them real quick before we wrap up our top 10 movies of 2004. My number 10 is Team America, World Police. Number nine, Sideways. Number eight, Dodgeball. Number seven, The Incredibles. Number six, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Number five, The Notebook. Number four, Dawn of the Dead. Number three, Miracle. Two, Mean Girls. And number one, the best superhero movie of all time. And that's Spider-Man 2. Great list. My number 10, 13 going on 30, Jennifer Garner. Number eight, Dodgeball, the movie. Number eight, Collateral, Jamie Foxx, Tom Cruise. Number seven, Mean Girls. Number six, The Incredibles. Number five, Miracle, great movie, uh, Herb Brooks Story, starring Kurt Russell. Number four, Zack Snyder's terrific Dawn of the Dead remake. Number three, Spider-Man 2. Number two, The Notebook. And number one, Clint Eastwood's Million Dollar Baby. This is a lot of fun, Mike. I had a good time. Always a good time, Chuck. We'll do it all over again next week. To the audience, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Movie Moments with Chuck Curry and Mike Rags. Download and listen to an archived show or be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear our new episode. 